this is Adrian Griffin, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Morton will try to go all the way. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is January 2nd, 2022. And Happy New Year, one and all. But Mikey, I should have known the year was going to start this way with how my year ended. What, you thought it was going to be any different with the COVID stuff? Or no, 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 Mike, you missed how my year ended last week. Oh, you got snowed out, didn't you? I'm driving up to Mammoth. We're super excited. I'm getting all these notices about snow, and um, we're just we just can't wait to get on the powder. And we get snowed out on the wrong side of the mountain. I can't even get to the house that we rented. Yeah, completely going off on a tangent here. My, my little ones have yet to see snow since they've been born in Southern California. And they're begging to go. And I'm sitting there going, as an adult, keep me as far away from that mess as possible. So you get what you deserve. You're driving up for 27 inches of snow. And it might not be possible that you get snowed off the mountain. I Big had surprise. my four-wheel drive. I had my chains. I was ready to go. But no, we had a nice little day trip at Bear Mountain. But man... It wasn't a good way to end the year, Mike. You mean like the Pirates ended the year against Providence? Kinda, sorta. And then how'd you, how'd you like start off at least? Did it start off better than the Pirates on New Year's Day? Uh, it's been so-so. What are you going to do about this? All right. I, I, I know it was two losses, Tom, but I'm not going to go off the rails. It's 2022, and in the spirit of the new year... I'm going to try to work on some New Year's resolutions, okay? That's big Resolution. of you, Mike. That's really big of you. Let me hear what you got. All right, resolution number one. I, I understand that COVID is going to cause more players to have to quarantine. Okay, it's only taken you 18 months, but good. All right, let's go. Keep going. Number two, never doubt the resolve of this team when they fall behind in a game. Okay, I buy that. Number, number three, except that Kevin Willard will probably not run an organized offense besides the pick and roll, <laughs> period. I'm not going to count the weave. The weave doesn't count. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and play all this what if stuff, right? I, I hate the what if card. You know, I'm proud of the team for giving the effort that they put forth against two top 25 opponents while completely undermanned. But you know me, I hate moral victories. So no moral victories for me, none. You know, other teams are going to be forced to play shorthanded this year due to injury, due to COVID. I mean, we beat Texas and Rutgers without Ike, right? I don't remember anybody complaining that Ike went down in that game. You know, it still goes down as two losses. You still miss two quad one opportunities. And now you face kind of like a mini must win versus Butler, 
to avoid starting 0-3 in conference play. I mean, let me ask you this. What were your expectations for this team after the Michigan, Texas, and Rutgers win, and we're riding high, you know, ranked in the top 15 after that big week? Oh, Mike, you know what they were. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was doing a little jig. I thought we were going to run the table. You know, maybe not win all the games in the Big East. I was seeing a top two finish in conference. I was so excited, Mike. Okay, but the bigger picture, right? You saw that this team had the depth and the potential to possibly be a second weekend of the tournament type team, right? That's what we've been begging for. No, you're 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 putting some bad juju on us, Mike. I don't want you to Mikey mush it, but no, I did. I, I, I had them beating Iona. Wasn't out of the realm of possibility. You are correct. I, I had them beating St. John's, DePaul, <laughs> Iona. I had all the guys playing going into this week, and the the front court was going to dominate. I just got to shut up because the bad juju was all over the place. But but I mean, the reality is. Like I, it wasn't the most ideal situation. We're going to break down all these games and go over, you know, that the fact that they're playing with really just seven deep in these games, but you have to try to find a way to win one of these two games, regardless of the scenario, you know, and in my opinion, you can't lose to Butler if you want to be potentially a second weekend of the tournament type team. Now it doesn't mean that you can't get in as like a six seed or a seven seed, and, and still make some noise, but don't you want them to put themselves in the best position possible? Be that three seed, that four seed, have a protected pod, have a weaker first round opponent, you know, possibly be even favored in that second round matchup. You want to have Seton Hall be in the best possible situation. And hey, I want to see a number next to their name the entire season. Being the top 25 is a sense of pride. I think it has an impact on recruits. And right now, if they were to lose to Butler and they have the fallout of these two games, regardless of the COVID pause or regardless of getting back on track, this was a small knock on their path to get to where I want them to be. It doesn't mean that they can't have a successful season, but it's still a little disappointing end result. You're not kidding, Mike. You know, this pause couldn't have come at a worse time, but in light of this sudden change in your perspective, Mike, this glass half full guy that I have no idea about. I'm going to try to be as positive as you are and let's see where this podcast goes. So it's going to be recapping two losses. That's where it's going to go. But all right. All right. Go ahead. So today on the podcast, we will recap the losses to Providence and Villanova, and we will preview the upcoming games at Butler and against UConn at the Rock. But first, Providence 70, Seton Hall 65. Both teams showed signs of coming off an extended break in game action as the Pirates held a slight advantage 22-19 after 14 minutes of play. Then the Friars woke up behind three consecutive three-pointers made by Nora Hortgler for a 15-0 run. A late Trey Jackson three weathered the storm slightly with the Hall trailing by nine at the break. In the second half, Providence kept the Pirates at bay, maintaining a double-digit lead for most of the half. Until four minutes to play when the Pirates made one last push that came up a little short. All right, Tommy, box score on this one. Alexis Yetna did some work for the Pirates. 13 points, 
six of 13 from the floor, 11 rebounds, two blocks, two steals. He, he, he did a little bit of everything. Probably the best pirate on the floor that, that, that night. Jared Roden, 10 points, 10 rebounds, but he was also four of 12 on the floor with three turnovers. Aiken had 11, Jackson chipped in with 10, and for Providence, Noah Horkler had 17 points on five of six from three-point range, 13 boards, three assists, three blocks, two steals. Nate Watson, 14.7 boards. Al Durham had 12. Reeves had 11. And off the bench, Jared Bytum chipped in a key 14 points. On the team side, the final stats in this game were fairly even. You know, the the three-point shooting stood out a little bit. Seton Hall was four of 19 for 21%. Providence was six of 17 for 35%. Providence held a small advantage on the glass on a plus five note. And both teams shot 40% from the floor. So I got to give a shout out to Bill Koch. He called it a rock fight. Check the box. He got it right. I mean, it just, it wasn't a pretty Seton Hall Providence game, but when was the last time you saw a pretty Seton Hall Providence game? All right. Uh, turning point. That kind of easy one, right? That the 15-0 run. Ten of those points were off transition or gave Providence the opportunity to get into their offense, you know, off pushing the ball and not letting Seton Hall get set. And at that point, Noah Horkler hits those three pointers during that run. And Providence is playing from ahead the entire game. It's tough to rally from behind on the road. It's just not a recipe for success. You know, and then you want to try to slow the tempo, as Willard said. But how do you do that when you're down by double digits? You're trying to now force the issue and get as many extra possessions in there as possible. So that little run kind of put Seton Hall behind the eight ball, and they just never had enough to overcome it and recover, if you ask me. Well, you did say it was a really ugly rock fight, Mike. I get, I got to experience this in two different ways. You know, we're driving home from Big Bear. I got on the XM and I got to listen to Gary and Dave on the AM feed. And they were in great voice. But then I had to come back and then watch the Fox broadcast. And oh, it just doesn't compare. But Alexis Yetna, you weren't wrong when we were texting each other. He brought it hard. He looked really good. Visually, he came in. He looked like he was the guy that was saying, we're not going to lose this game. This is why I can't stand the fans that are watching a game or recapping a game based on the observation of a box score. I I, I should frame it and like put it out there on Twitter. Uh, One of six, Yetna. Yetna didn't bring it tonight. And I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with you? I didn't realize you weren't watching the game. I mean, Yetna was the only guy out there kind of going to work on both ends of the floor. Now, he didn't start off well uh, in terms of efficiency, making buckets for the Pirates, but he finished 6 of 13. You know, he hit the boards, and in my opinion, he played toe-to-toe with Nate Watson holding him to 14 points on the night. I mean, he brought the energy, Tom. You know, when he did start scoring, it was off a great little feed. I know Bryce gave him a little feed. There was another feed down low. They were getting him the ball down low. So he's not kind of dragging his butt out to the three-point line to shoot those threes. He's staying by the basket playing tough nose. That's a good point. I mean, they've been playing pick-and-roll basketball with him because Tyrese and Ike were both out. And you know what? He rolls pretty well to the basket. He's got nice hands to be able to finish around the rim. 
And I, like I said, he, there's times where he doesn't, and you're like, oh, I got to make that one. But more often than not, he's done pretty well around the rim on pick and roll. It's a good observation by you. But the observation that I took away was, and I, I did some numbers crunching for you, Tom. We said trick or treat is yet going to average over eight rebounds per game. And over his last seven, he's averaging 8.4 rebounds per game. And I'm going to even do one better. I'm going to back out the Nyack game in that seven-game stretch because for some reason he only played 10 minutes and went four points and four boards. So over those six games, backing out Nyack, he's averaging 11.7 points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game, but he's still only shooting 15% from three. Mikey, if he's making his bunnies, if he's making his bunnies, he's probably averaging like 13, 14 a game with nine boards. Yetna is coming to play the way we expected to him when he entered the the transfer portal and announced that he was coming to wear blue in Newark, man. I'm sorry. He's doing well. Are there any other numbers you want to cherry pick? They sound like they actually fit your narrative. Do we want to take any other games out? I'll find them. I'll find them. You know I will. That's what I do. But the reality is the first four games – it's easy to sit there and say he was trying to find himself, you know, in his role with this team. I mean, we were saying that he's probably standing by the three-point line too much. He's gotten into the paint. I mean, it, that just happens. Sometimes you got to kind of feel your way around in the early action. After those first four games, the numbers don't lie. The man's been bringing his lunch pail to work and hitting the glass, man. Mike, I'm going to say, you know, he looks a lot more athletic now than he did early in this season. I've got no insider information, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of these days we find out he was a little banged up early on. Come on, first couple games, we're looking at him and we're saying, oh, he looks like a little different kind of player here. He doesn't look like he's got that athleticism, but lately with these blocks... Hey, he's looking like he's got a little jump in him. All right. Speaking of athleticism, I like Trey Jackson, right? I think he brings that versatility to this team. And in this game, we were hoping that he was going to backfill some of the scoring uh, with Tyree Samuel being out due to the COVID protocols. And he gave you 10 points and three boards in his first start for the Pirates. I mean, but he gave you 16 minutes in the first half and he was only able to give you seven minutes in the second half. It's really unfortunate that they couldn't utilize him more. Willard said that he was cramping up. Man, how how do you feel about Trey's performance in this game? I thought it was spectacular. You know, he did a really good job using his athleticism. And, And, you know, he's done this in big games when he's had spots. You know, he played really well against Michigan. He's just been up and down. And I think part of it is he needs to get a normal amount of minutes. He's got to get... He's got to get comfortable and know, hey, I'm going to play my 22 minutes a night. It can't be back and forth. I know what my role is. And once the guys get back, I think he's going to take this as his next step. I don't know. See, I, I like Trey a lot, and I think he could guard one through four. I think he gets overmatched against some of the bigger bodies like an eight Watson. He was definitely outmatched in the uh, the Villanova matchup when he got switched on to Dixon. Uh I don't think he gets 22 minutes when the other guys come back. I, I, don't, think I, I don't know that he can guard the four, Mike. I think he's a little lithe, if you know what I mean. I, it depends on who the four is, right? I mean, he's still 6'8". Not every four in this league is a banger. My concern is that, you, like you said, you guys need consistency. They need to know on a night-in and night-out basis what their minutes are going to be or what their role is going to be. And there have been nights where Trey has gotten 20 minutes, and there's been nights where Trey has gotten 10 So I I don't know if people can expect Trey to give you a set amount of output 
when his results are also kind of going in flux with the minutes that he's getting. So, hey, look, I, I wish he could have given us more in the second half. I think if he would have been able to kind of stay on the floor, that might have put them over the top. Uh, but we don't know. You know, the, 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 cramp, the cramping is unfortunate. Uh, that being said, that, that's all I got for the blue-tinted glasses. I, mean, I, I know they made a nice little late rally, but I'm tired of putting that in the blue-tinted glasses section. Let's, let's move on to sour grapes and grapes because there was a lot of talk about the scouting report in the post game from Kevin Willard. How do you feel about the scout? Mike, I've said this before. I think what Kevin and staff needs to do is they need to tune into the podcast and listen to the behind enemy lines because it's sometimes it seems like the reporters we talk to have got the information for them to be positive. I mean, how do we not understand that Noah Horkler is not going to be shooting from three? I mean, how do you not know that that's what his game's like? Yeah, okay, let's, let's be fair. Coming into this game, he was shooting one of nine from three in his last three, and that brought his total down to the year for a 35% clip. Now, we're talking about do you back out numbers. No, go look at his numbers collectively for the last two seasons, including the 35% from this year, including that little rough patch of one for nine, and he's a 40% three-point shooter. Now, no, I probably don't expect the guy to go all Larry Bird on us and go five for six and do everything else that he did on the court that particular night. But Horkler is not going to beat you off the dribble. He's not a back-to-the-basket post-up guy. You know, he he does a little bit of everything, but he can spot up and shoot the three. You got to run him off the line a little bit. So I was kind of surprised that Jackson didn't get the matchup on Horkler. Most of the time, it was Kale or Roden kind of jumping out to try to close out on him. And him being 6'10", it's easier to kind of shoot over those guys at 6'6". It just... I'm sorry. To me, we missed something in terms of the scout there. And there was a specific play that absolutely highlighted this during the 15-0 run. You know, Horkler fakes a pass and both Harris and Kale go scrambling over to cover Justin Manaya, who guess what? He shoots 22% from three, right? I just, I don't get it. I, so, something was off with that scout, but that's not the only thing that was off with the scouting, if you ask me. Well, before you get into more scouting report, Mike, hey, we always talk about how much we love ourselves some Ed Cooley. What did he do? He saw the hot guy from the first half and immediately first play out of the gate in the second half, he draws up a play to get him an easy bucket to keep him going. I'll yeah. tell you what, man, it was a nice little play. It wasn't, it wasn't just an isolation post-up, which is what I, I took away from that, right? They ran a couple cross screens. Right. They got him diving into the basket. They got a little mismatch. He got a step on the defender, a little up and under. But you're right. Ed kind of had that in mind. He ran the action to get Horkler the look that he ended up getting to keep the hot hand rolling. I mean, he, he kind of cooled off from that point on. He had, a, he had a pretty big three later in the second half as well, but those were his only two buckets. But I'm sorry, I guarantee you Kevin Willard was not expecting Horkler to go off for 17 in this matchup. What else did you see from the scouting report, Mike? So, I mean, we, we know that Horkler probably had an above average game shooting the three, even though that could be a strength of his. We know AJ Reeves is a sharp shooter for them and they held him to one of six from three point range. So they did a good job closing out on Reeves. Uh, once again, Cooley ran a great play for Reeves late in the game to get him a, an open three uh, when the, the hall had kind of cut the lead down to seven. But the other two guys that did damage for, for Providence were Al Durham and Jared Bynum. And to me, the scout is, those are the guys you let shoot. Don't let those guys beat you off the dribble. 
Don't let them get to the free throw line. You know, Biden Tom was shooting 34% from the floor in its entirety coming into this game. And he finished six of 11. And I'm sorry, but Jameer Harris got abused by Bynum off the dribble. Him and Kale were picking up their guys well beyond the three-point line. And Seton Hall gave up big buckets down the stretch to both of those guys. Or they let Dorham get to the free throw line. Dorham was eight of 10 from the line for the game. Now, I know he got four of those attempts to ice it down the stretch. But if a guy gets six free throw attempts for a ball game, you said he did a pretty good job getting to the line, right? So that, that's the scout on those two guys. And they were living in the paint. And on, on plays that they broke down the D and didn't even make a shot, you got Nate Watson putting easy putbacks because Yetin is trying to come over to, to block Bynum and he gets a little easy putback. And you got Donnie Marshall going, oh, that's, just, that's just great play by Providence there. No, no, it's not. Stay on your guy. Let, let, let Bynum shoot an 18-footer. Box out. Ah. You're not expecting you're not expecting things coming out of Donnie Marshall's mouth to be anything interesting or enlightening, do you, Mike? Come on. No, but but but, but Coach Willard was pumping up Kyle Smythe in the post game as he had to fill in for Bill Meyer and Woodward because they were out with the with COVID protocols as well. He had the scout on this game, and oh, he's going to be a great coach for somebody. I'm going to lose him next year. Okay, he probably is, but I think he got the scout wrong. I'm not I'm right. I mean, I blatantly, I think he got the scout wrong here. Well, well, coach has said a lot of interesting things in the post game. And one of the things he talked about is that he can't slow this team down, you know, because the, the team is built to play with pace, to move and run. But if that's the case, why don't we run the fast break? So poor Mike, what, what is again. going on with these guys? Can't I mean, do it. Two, no. a, two fast breaks by Bryce Aiken alone made me cringe, and I know that you were ready to break out old podcast material and say, Tom, what do we do? How do we run the break? Now, we, we, we've already done how do you run the fast break tutorial twice before on episodes. We're not doing it again, but Aiken did it twice. Aiken had a three-on-one, and he took it himself, contested to the rim instead of dropping it off for the trailer. And then he takes the two-on-one later in the game, and he hangs out Roden to dry. I'm sitting there watching the replay, and my son's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm taking my notes, getting ready for the podcast, and I'm pausing it to kind of teach him, you know, what to do on the two-on-one fast break. And before I could even say anything, he's like, why did Aiken already pass it to him? He's like, Aiken had a layup. He's like, that guy wasn't guarding him. I'm like, no, he wasn't. I mean, Aiken didn't even look to attack the basket. And Dorham is already cheating over to get into position to take the charge on Roden. And, and that was a key play in and of itself because that gave Roden his fourth foul and it piggybacked right off of that, that poor block uh, call that he got, oh, you know, almost got teed up for after he complained. And then he was mentally checked out of that ball game. So, I mean, the fast break execution cost us some key basket opportunities when they were trying to rally back in the second half. You know, speaking about things we've talked about in the past, once again, the offense, ugh, it was hard to watch. Quality shots were hard to come by. 27 first half points, Mike. The execution in the half court was not good. Well, you hate when I do this and I get into the minutia of it, right? But 27 first half points, and you do realize that of those 27 points, three come on Jackson's shot clock expiring three in the corner. 
Jackson also hits a three when they're playing five on four because Nate Watson got hurt and couldn't get back into the play. And Providence was trying to give a foul of all things. And the refs didn't blow the whistle. Kale gets a fadeaway, a horrendous looking fadeaway that hits like every part of the rim and backboard before it goes in. And then they got seven points in transition. So in true half court basketball in that first half, they scored 12 points. 12 points, Tom? Well, 12 points if you back out all those cherry-picked shots you put up there, Mike. But that's not, but that's not good offense. I'm sorry. Five-on-four is not half-court basketball. Trey Jackson chucking up a shot at the end of the shot clock is not good basketball. So in their actual sets, whether it was one-on-one or whatever else they did, 12 points in the half court i'm sorry i'm just happy it's us hitting those late in the shot clock shots as opposed to the opponents mike Uh, that's fine but you don't have a problem with the four of 19 from three as well in terms of quality shot selection i mean harris aiken kale and yetna two of 14 and this is the other thing i saw when i went back and watched it a second time of those 14 attempts nine of them were early in the shot clock 15 seconds or more still on the shot clock when those three-pointers went up. You're telling me with the quality of three-point shooting that we're putting up right now, they can't get those shots with five seconds or less less to go? That, that, that shot's got to go up with 15 seconds to go or more on the shot clock? We can't try to drive, get it to the rim, get to the free throw line, hit the glass? Mike, we're, it's we're a broken chuck- Why it's, chucking? A, it's a broken record at this point, Mike. This is exactly what we've done all season long. Good, bad, or indifferent. This is how the offense has been run. Okay, but uh, and, and you're also okay still with all the one-on-one play? There's a difference between being okay with it and finally saying, oh, man, I, I, I how many times am I going to bring this up? Yeah, my New Year's resolution lasted, what, like 15 minutes? <laughs> I, I, I'm also tired of hearing, though, that they only had seven turnovers in this game. Great job by the Pirates taking care of the basketball. I mean, let's, and I'm going to pick on Roden here a little bit, right? He did not have a good game. He did not have that alpha mentality in this night. I mean, you're allowed to have a bad game, but of Roden's four for 12, three of those shots that he made were off of layups. One, he attacked the basket. Two were also in transition. Tom, the other nine shots, two were blocked. One was an air ball and he's forcing the elbow pull up jump shot. So these other opponents in the non-conference that have not seen Roden's game, maybe they're caught off guard by it. He's getting that first step and he's getting a clean look. Ed Cooley's seen Jared Roden play. This is the fourth year that Ed Cooley's seen his game. You don't think Ed Cooley had his team ready to know that that's Jared's go-to move? Because it sure looked like they knew it was coming. Well, they were all. They also had ten games of film to go look at so far this season, so they know what he's looking like being the number one guy on offense. This isn't a case where in previous years where Jared might get five, six shots and then go off for one big game. They see what he's doing, and it's the same move over and over. We've been saying we want to see him going to the rim lots more, but he's settling on that pull-up shot. He only had two free throw attempts in this game. I, I'm I hate the analytics people, but I mean I'm gonna have to agree with them from this perspective. If Roden's getting the wide open elbow jump shot because of his big first step and then the pull-up and it's going in at a 50% or better clip, which on certain nights it feels like that's the way it's going. No issues. But he can't be going one of nine or whatever it was on the elbow jump shots. I don't know how many of those nine misses 
were from that from that range. But you can't be taking a two-point mid-range pull-up shot and be completely inefficient with it. That is not okay in today's game or the metrics. You just can't. That's a it's a bad shot if it's a guarded shot. Absolutely right. You know, Mike, but let's go back for a second here. Earlier on, I told I, I mentioned the old saying that we love ourselves some Ed Cooley. You know, last week when we had Bill Koch on, we kind of brought it back a little bit because there's a lot of similarities to Kevin Willard's success and Ed Cooley's success with each program. And it seems like we're always bagging on coach, but we're loving Ed. There's a reason why we love ourselves some Ed Cooley. And that inside the huddle segment that they love doing there on Fox Sports showed it to us one more time. This is a street fight. Hey, listen, everybody, a street fight. I don't know if that's a good set of coaching, Mike. I don't know if he's telling them anything strategically, but I want to be one of them dudes, Michael. It, there's eight minutes to go in the game. They're, they're winning, right? They're, they're they're comfortably holding this, you know, seven to 11 point lead. He's just trying to get them to, to not lose focus and close this game out. You know, that, that, that whistle blows to get back out in the court. How do you feel? I'm, I'm going out there, man. Guns are blazing. Let's go, baby. I, you're just pumped up. There are certain guys that just resonate in the way that they communicate. And I don't know if Kevin's looking over his shoulder when he has the in the huddle segment and can't wait for the camera to shut off for him to say what he truly wants to say to his team. But you've seen Patrick Ewing do it. You've seen Ed Cooley do it. Certain guys just have a different level of charisma. And I love that. I'm attracted to that. So yes, I was reminded why I love myself some Ed Cooley. Oh, man, just total mic drop there. Are you going to give the Mike Floppers a pass this week? Are you not going to pick on anybody from Mike Flops? I mean, I, I hate to do it, but you know who had a couple of Mike Flops this week? Don't do it, Michael. I know I, you texted I, I, me with this. I don't want to see. I don't we are it. equal. We are equal opportunity blasters on the podcast, are we not? We've taken John Fanta to task. We've taken a lot of people that we love and call them out when they have a bad moment. And, and I hate to do this, ma'am. New Year's resolutions. I'm the bad guy. Jeez. Bill, Bill did not bring his A game in the Nova call. Oh, I'm sending you to confession, Mike. I right? can't believe Harris hits a three pointer. Harris hits his first three pointer. And Raph's like, like he's on a bit of a heater or he's, <laughs> or he's a bit of like a hot stretch the last couple of games. And I'm like, no, I, I Bill, think Raph been... might have been on a bit of a heater there. Oh, Is that what's going just... on? I, I forgot the other, the, the comment he made. I, I'm not going to go back to the text messages, but. Tom, he had a couple slip-ups. Did, did uh, he not? You, you know what? I, I give St. Bill a pass on these. You know, maybe he was just trying to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons out of that game. But, you know, there were also a lot of other interesting comments made by Coach. So let's go to... And now, Deep Thoughts. With Kevin Willard. So I, I apologize. You had a beautiful transition set up there 
and I completely kiboshed it on you. So my, my bad. I know you've been working on those. Hopefully you'll turn the corner in I, 2022. I, try. I, I keep writing notes down all week long just to impress you, Mike. So I even said I, it to I'll myself. I'm like, that's a, that's a good transition. And I'm just going to cut them off to pick on <laughs> Bill here. I even said, I'm saying it in my head as I, as I cut you off. Man, that New Year's resolution lasted all of 20 minutes. Oof. So in the post game with Gary and Dave, Coach Willard seemed to be all over the map. They'd ask a question, and he'd just kind of meander his thoughts all the way around. And, you know, at one point, he goes in to start complaining about, Mike, hold your hold on to tight to something about how games are scheduled. But this <laughs> time, he's not talking about the original schedule. He's talking about the makeup games. Is it bad that we say get taxes and Kevin Willard complaining about the schedule? Uh, it's gotten to that point that it's it's that's the running joke. Is it that bad? I, I mean, it's uh, what he does. It's what he's known for. All right, hit me with the audio. It's just you know that's my biggest worry. You know, with the way our schedule's set up. Um, and now we don't even have a bye week, you know, because they rescheduled to Paul, which, you know, I agree with, but I don't agree with. You know, I didn't want that game because of, of what we're going through now. You know, it's, you know, I don't think they looked at it the way coaches look at it. I think administrators have no idea the way coaches look at things. You know, I looked at it as, all right, I have eight guys for four games. You know, when can I practice and when can I get those guys rest and when can I get those guys recovery and when can we get better? You know, you don't do that by just chucking games in because, oh, it fits here. And that's where the administrators are stupid. They don't have no idea. Oh, look at this. There's a date. It works. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad it works for you. It doesn't work for basketball. Oh, boy. So we're, we're, we normally hate it when a coach gives a canned answer or they deflect and they don't answer the, the question that was asked. This, this was not the question that was asked by, by Cohen, by the way. And somehow in his long diatribe, he, he tangents off to this this response, but at least he gives you what he's feeling raw, but it, it's, it's not a good take though. It's just not a good take. And here's what I'm going to do. No, normally I'm giving you my thoughts. I hate stealing somebody else's idea uh, as sometimes these message boards could go off the rails. Uh, I actually found three comments that I thought hit home exactly the way to kind of describe what Kevin should have said or what he shouldn't have said in relative to the context of this statement. So here, here's what I'm going to give you. Uh, comment number one. He said administrators are stupid. He goes, that's a ridiculously broad brush. It's a sentence worthy of a fifth grade argument. He was, of course, upset with the situation, as we all have been. But saying what he said was childish, and Willard is better than that. I, I agree. Do you? You know, I just want to remind everybody that this was the man who put together a schedule last year that included four games in seven days in three time zones. Well, but he now call he's himself, call he did call himself else. an idiot, though. And in the post game of the Big East tournament, he did call himself an idiot in retrospect for that yeah, as well. Yeah, so he, I don't he, know. And if he would have gone 4 and 0, he would have told you how brilliant he was with that, too. All right. The second comment we inconvenience some teams or we don't play a lot of games. And the schedule inconveniences Kevin every year. Take away Bryce and Miles and ask Kevin how he likes that. If not for the dopes in charge, they are not on the team. You got to take the good and the bad. There are no perfect answers 
in this season, in these past two seasons of COVID, everything is on the fly. Everything is being moved to try to get the most of a season out of it. And you can make these kind of comments about every little decision here, Mike. So, I mean, you got to just take stuff and roll with it here. All right. Last comment. It's all a dumb argument anyway. If you want the games played, there's going to be some pain. The league has to be as proactive scheduling as soon as possible because there could be future pauses. Do you really want 15 games in February? You can't do it. Games would be missed. Willard doesn't get a pass here. Shut up and play. I I think what the biggest problem is, it, it, it seems like Coach Willard comes out with this defeatist attitude every time he complains about the schedule when it first comes in. Even though, Kevin, we don't own the Rock. There's lots of other things going on. Maybe if we had an on-campus arena that we controlled the schedule 100%, you wouldn't have these things. But past that, dude, everything is a complaint. And I think this wears on your team. I think after a while, the defeatist attitude wears off on them. I, I, it's happened last year. You had pl- some of the players in the post game getting interviewed and they were giving similar Kevin Willard type answers. You, you, you just want to hear positivity. We're going to run through a brick wall. I'm going to go to war with whatever seven guys, five guys that can suit up. We can beat anybody. That's how good this team is. I, I have the faith in any man on this roster, next man up mentality. So many different ways to put a positive spin on it. Kevin is not being singled out here at Seton Hall. Other teams are going to face similar COVID challenges throughout the year, the schedule or travel is not going to line up and be ideal. I mean, and it's not even necessarily the arena situation. They are going to play the St. John's game at Walsh in a back-to-back matchup situation within what, two days in between? And you know know what they should say about that? Good. I get to beat St. John's twice in three days. Good. Or better yet, hey, there's going to be no surprises. We're going to show them what we got the first one, and we're going to stick it to them again a couple nights later. I'm with you. And and the point is, you're going to have to squeeze these games in. You're going to have to play three games in six days or three games in one week. It's just going to happen. So you don't have your little precious bye week to work on individual instruction. I'm sorry. You know, get out there and play basketball. The kids want to play basketball. The kids aren't sitting there going, I wish I had more recovery time. I mean, they're 18 to 20-year-old kids. Besides Bryce being like 27, but I mean, you know, they, they want to go out there and 25, just, Mike, they just want to go out there and play basketball. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's how I felt when I was in that age group. You felt indestructible. Go ahead. Give me another, right? You know, we should have started with the Nova game first because it was a lot more pleasant to watch than the Providence game because this Providence recap has just killed all your resolutions. So to help you get back on track, Mike, Villanova 73, Seton Hall 67. A cold offensive start by the Pirates allowed the Wildcats to jump out to an 11-2 lead. 
The Hall eventually responded with a 13-2 run to take a five-point lead, 25-20. But Nova answered back with a 9-0 run that bookended the first and second halves for a five-point lead of their own. Their lead would grow to nine with eight minutes left to play, but the Pirates would find a way to rally yet again and took the lead on two Bryce Aiken free throws, 61-60 with two minutes left to play. But Nova made all the big plays in the winning moments to pull it out. All right, stats on this one. I, I, that was supposed to get me excited. All right, Bryce Aiken, 22 points. 10 of 12 from the free throw line. I know you're going to tell me the two misses hurt though. Uh, Alexis Yetna, 10 points, eight rebounds. Uh, unfortunately fouled out early in this game. Otherwise I think he could have contributed some more here. Jared Roden, 13 points, six rebounds on a team high 36 minutes uh, for the opposition. Colin Gillespie. God, it's just, it sucks to keep on hearing that name over and over still 21 points. Another guy, Jermaine Samuels, 11 points, 11 boards. And here's a new name for you. Brandon Slater, 17 points, 7 rebounds. And Tom, I had to find a way to give him a career high. His Big East career high, his previous Big East high was 11 twice before. Brandon Slater, in my opinion, was a difference maker in this game for the Wildcats. Uh, Team stats, rebounding, Nova crushed us on the glass. 42 to 28, and they had 13 offensive rebounds as well. But Seton Hall turned them over, right? How many times are you going to see a Villanova team get turned over 17 times? And Seton Hall, once again, single digits, only eight. And Seton Hall was plus 12 in converting those turnovers into points. But to me, the turning point goes back to that man, Brandon Slater. You know, with under a minute to play, Villanova got its 13th offensive rebound off a Colin Gillespie miss. And Slater hits both free throws for a three-point lead. Now, I know the Hall had a chance to tie it when uh, Harris missed a wide-open three. But once again, you know, you, you get that rebound there. You get the stop. You could the, the whole offensive repertoire is available to you. I think the Hall felt like they had to try to get that game tied. The bench was getting thin. You couldn't try to extend the game out. Um, so getting a stop there and then holding for the game-winning bucket that would have been the difference maker or their chance to walk out with the victory. But Slater comes down with the big board. He hits, he ices the two free throws and it changes the complexion of how the final, you know, 45 seconds of that game is played. Now, Mike, I wasn't thinking that this was going to be any sort of moral victory or anything to cheer you up, but I do want to say that this game was a lot easier on the eyes than the Providence game was. And there were a lot more runs and we had the lead with two minutes left. Why? Bryce Aiken was why. He put Seton Hall on his back down the stretch, scored 14 points in the final 620. I know you and I were going back and forth saying, you know, it doesn't even look like anyone else is even on the court sometimes. Bryce was just taking that game over. No, it's, it's unfortunate that he missed the big step back three with, you know, a buck 10 to play. That's the shot he hits against Texas, you know, on when he was having an off night. And he hits that shot and, you know, he's, he's the hero. And on a night where he was carrying them on their back in those final moments, you know, he has that same exact shot and it just, it just didn't go down. Uh, can, can I get it? Like I told you, so a healthy Bryce Aiken, 
is the is a difference maker for this team. Oh, hey, this is it, oh yeah, you're shocking. That was that was the most way out prediction you could have ever made, Mike. You're right. Good job there. Way uh, to go, look, Nostradamus. I I don't think when Bryce said that he was gonna come back and be a part of this team for his fifth year COVID year that he was going to have more than a 20 minutes off the bench type of a role in, you know, microwave scoring type of situation. He's the man for this team down the stretch. Every, every game now, this is not, Oh, it was Bryce's night. And then tomorrow night, it's going to be kale. And the next night it's going to be Roden. This is now four, four moments in which he's the guy, the ball's going through him every time. And not just one or two possessions. We're talking the final six minutes and 20 seconds of this game, Michigan, Texas, Rutgers, Nova game. I, I'm sorry. He, he's the guy now for this team. It's great to watch. But, Mike, you know what? You know why I will call you Nostradamus? Because there was a sighting, as my wife liked to say, hey, isn't that Mike's boy taking all those shots? Jameer Harris picked the biggest game of the season to come up large so far. Four of six from three-pointers and 24 big minutes of play. Take a bow, Jameer Harris. Way to go. Yeah, unfortunately, once again, Harris misses the wide-open three. That could have tied it with 33 seconds to go, but that's not my issue here. But it wasn't a bad shot. It was a no, good no, shot. No, it was a good, good shot. It was, it was open. No, it was wide open. I'm not upset with the shot that he got. It wasn't forced. You know, it was in the flow of the offense, if, uh, if you could even say that. But it, but it was a good shot. That one air uh, ball, that was a little forced. But beyond that. And, and, and he got sent to the bench for that. So, you know, Kevin yanked him right away. He was like, I know you're having a good night, but geez, like, relax. I'm okay with that. that that's fine. Good job, Kevin. My issue here is... I know your wife does not listen to the podcast. So she's sitting there going, is that Mike's boy? What kind of conversation are you having around the dinner table? Or what kind of pillow talk are you having that she knows that Jameer Harris is my boy that you've assigned to me because I was talking him up in the pre- And hang on. I wasn't even talking him up in the preseason. Jerry Carino, I was at practice, and I'm telling you right now, folks, this guy's going to be an automatic starter. This is the guy who's going to hit all the shots and want the ball. So I was just repeating what everybody else was just shoveling to us in the in the preseason summer workouts that they got to see. And I'm like, look, if what they're saying is true and what we saw on the tape from American lines up, then, hey, you should be excited about Jameer Harris, but you're lying in bed with your wife telling him, this is Mikey's guy. This is you Mikey's know, guy. You know, Mike, I wish it was that serious. It's even sillier, Mike. You tell me right now, what was to call Molson's number last year? 15. Now tell me what number Jameer Harris is. Oh, God, he's 15. Oh, my God. All she knows is that you like the guy 15. <laughs> oh, that, you know, I, ne- I never even connected the dots on that until this very much. It's a little scary, actually. Anyhow, moving on a little bit. You know, this is another one of those things that's a broken record. What a gritty effort from this team. Let's take it for a second and forget about the fact that this was Nova and it's a tough game. They were down to eight guys on the bench. The front court was in foul trouble. They still battled back. And that defense, woo, that's the calling card like we've been saying all year long. You mentioned 17 forced turnovers, man. And what did you ask me at halftime of the game? You asked me, do you think Nova's going to turn it over another double-digit times? And I said, you know what? Why not? 
This is what Seton Hall's defense does. So why technically I was off by a few, it's not like Nova took care of it that well. Look, I, they did a great job defensively, but no, I did not think they were going to turn it over another 11 times in the second half. And the, the fact that they even turned it over another six times, I think is kind of shocking, right? But I also did not think that you were going to get a duplicate of the Villanova first half to mirror it again in the second half. I mean, what Villanova went to the line, what, like six times in the first half, seven times in the first half, and they go to the line. Are you really shocked? They go to the line 24 times in the second half. Well, it was I mean, more of a concerted effort in the second half to get the ball down low and post. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. They, But, they, but no, let, let's stay focused on the positive here. Yeah. I mean, we could collectively say it for both games now. They didn't They didn't have an eight-man rotation. I'm sorry. I mean, no no disrespect to Joe Smith. I, I thought he played a solid two minutes in the Providence game. And he didn't, he didn't lose the assignment. That was Jameer Harris on the one play that Kevin yanked him on. Uh, but no, Kevin did not go to Joe Smith in the Providence game, if you really think about it. He didn't even give him a sniff with all the foul trouble that the front court had in the Nova game. So they played this game with seven rotational players, and they gave you everything that they had with as shorthanded as they were in the front court. I know other people are going to say, hey, but Nova's team doesn't go that deep either. Providence really only played seven guys, but we lost our advantage, if you ask me, right? The advantage for this team was to say, we can go nine guys deep, maybe 10 on a given night, and we're going to run with the best five on that particular night. We don't have superstars galore. We're going to ride guys for 35 minutes. So maybe it's Jared Roden one night. Maybe it's Bryce Aiken. Maybe it's Kadari Richmond for a given game. And we're going to take the best five guys, and in the last five minutes, they're going to have fresh legs, and we're going to hit you with our best hand for that particular evening. There was none. They, they had no choice. They were running Kadari Richmond at the power forward in the final seconds of the Villanova game. So what they accomplished, like you said, this gritty effort in both games needs to be complimented. So not a moral victory, but hats off to kind of rolling up your sleeves and doing the best they could. Well, Mike, what made you grumpy here? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go after the, I'm going to go after the alpha here because in, in two games when, you know, the, the, the rest of the team was not there due to this COVID-19 protocol stuff was the opportunity for Jared Roden to step up on a big stage and, and be the guy and find a way to will this team to a win or two. And, and Jared was not the man down the stretch specifically not in this game. I, I know he had 13 points, but was that not a quiet 13? He didn't look good, Mike. I'm sorry. And, you know, maybe he's still trying to get his legs out from under him, coming off the uh, off the pause a little bit. You know, again, he's not attacking the rim. He seems to be settling on bad shots. He just didn't look good. And, you know, so maybe, Mike, maybe I got to do an apology to Brad Cavallaro of the college basketball central podcast coming into the season he said if you're in a big spot late in the game a buck 30 to go are you feeling comfortable saying that here you go jared Roden, go get one please maybe that's just not his game well i mean the the epitome of his effort in this game was him telling everyone to clear out when they were down for uh 58 54 towards the you know the i think five minute mark six minute mark of the game and he ends up not taking his guy off the dribble, doesn't get to the basket. Why? Because Villanova was smart. Villanova knows that we're not knocked down three-point shooters. So all their guys had like one foot in the paint 
shading Jared to try to attack. And what does he do? He bricks a three-pointer from straight away. Did you realize that that was his final shot attempt for the entire game? Five, five, I think it was 548 mark. And that's the last shot that you get from Jared Roden, your so-called first team, all Big East player. Now you're allowed to have a bad game, but I thought he had back-to-back bad games this week. And you want to be the alpha. You want to be first team all conference. And there was talk about him possibly even being in the running now for Big East player of the year. These are the moments that you put your stamp on, you know, that title. And I think he came up a little bit short. And on top of that, they needed his rebounding, right? We're, we're getting used to Jared hitting the glass to a tune of 10 rebounds a game. You look up and you're like, did he really go for a double-double? And this is the game of all the games that they needed, that extra guy on the glass. He only comes up with six. You know, unfortunately, he wasn't the only guy that came up short on the offensive side. You know, Trey Jackson, who scored 10 big points against Providence, only came up with two points off of free throws, and he only took two other shots Played yeoman's work on defense late when Yetna fouled out, but still needs something on the offensive end. Miles Kale, he was aggressive. He just wasn't good. Two of nine for five points. And Kadari Richmond, one of nine for only three points. Everything seemed forced. You know, he's trying to post and he's taking really bad shots. And oh my goodness. Can we finally stop saying the Madison Jones turnovers where he steps on the out-of-bounds line? Kadari Richmond bobbles one off his knee as he's dribbling it up with nobody on him. This highlighted the lack of of depth for Seton Hall on this particular night. This is, once again, going back to what we talked about. When this team goes 9 or 10 deep and you have three guys having off nights, those three guys are not going to log... 25 to 30 minutes in that particular ball game. And you have, you know, Jackson 0 for 2, Kale 2 of 9, Richmond 1 of 9. Oh, geez, man. That's 3 of 20. 3 of 20 for guys that had to be major minute contributors on this evening. When you're down to seven guys and that's the production you get, you're probably not going to win too many games. And they were still that close. They still had the lead with two minutes to go, and that's the production you got. So maybe on this particular night, it's not Trey Jackson's night. This is the night where Samuel uh, really you know, makes his mark and maybe goes off for 12 points, and that's the difference in the ballgame. But you know what? <sighs> they needed some other guys to step up. Roden did not have a great game, kind of quiet 13 like we said, and then three no-shows from your other scorers. That hurts. It, it just hurts. And it you comes know, back to the same old story, Mike. Too much isolation. Another single-digit assist night. But, you know, here's what I got to say about our offensive dilemmas here, Mike. We've now seen, what, 12 games from the Pirates? And is this the norm, though? You know, COVID, no COVID. This is what the offense has looked like all season long. There have been games where we've had single digit uh, assist outputs and we've won against real good teams is this just gonna be how the team goes forward I don't want to hear that oh I had to pare back my offensive playbook to four because we haven't practiced and we're missing a lot of guys you weren't exactly tearing up the stat sheet a month ago either when you had your full complement the players so I don't want to hear that 
Is this what we can expect? Well, I just, I don't like the spinning of excuses. And I think it's kind of permeated now to the fan base. They're like, well, of course, you know, if you have a shorter rotation, guys' legs are going to be tired and shots aren't going to go in and yada, yada, yada. But I watched Nova year after year. They never really go deep. They have all these great recruits, but Brian Antoine's hurt. Trey Patterson is not even getting in the lineup. Jonathan Lewingo, I mean, he was just in foul trouble the entire day. Uh, Nova really went with seven guys. And one of those seven guys was Chris Archidiacono. I'm sorry. The guy wasn't even a threat to shoot the ball. They went with six guys that could offensively put the ball in the basket. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm not okay with the excuses that line up. The offense is struggling because of the way the offense is constructed. Yes. Not having Tyrese in the lineup to get his points does hurt. Ike is not a contributor on the offensive side. Ike is not making the pick and roll run better. I'm sorry. Fundamentally, you won a rock fight against Texas. You won a rock fight against Michigan. This is what the offense is. And we can complain about it every time we do one of these episodes. Or we can just sit there and accept the fact that this is a strong defensive-minded team. They have the ability to hold teams into the the mid to low 60s. And on a given night, that's probably what we're going to score. And we're hoping that our alpha down the stretch – Bryce Aiken at the moment is going to make more big shots than your guy is going to make. And speaking of Bryce, I think he possibly had the only, whoa, did you see that moment of the week? So he drives off the right-hand side, splits a pair of defenders, throws up this fake that just gets the Villanova defender flying by him and puts in a nice little layup. Uh, I'll tell you, it made me say, whoa. Whenever Bill can use his lingerie on the deck line, that's that's a good move. Right? <laughs> oh, you're right. back. You're back to uh, loving yourself some Bill. I, rap, just, huh? I had to be partial. I, I had to be objective. You know, I have to. I'm gonna pump up Bill 99 percent of the time. He, he had a couple slip ups, but yeah, that was that was a good move. It was a good call. I, it was unfortunately that was the. Oh, did you see that moment for the week? Okay, Mike. So you're being objective. Talk to me about the ranking situation. What no, happens I got, this I got week? nothing. I got nothing. They lost two games. I know they were top 25 matchups, but the the other writers across the country aren't going to pay attention to Seton Hall's COVID-19 issues with their roster. You lose two games. You're right around 15. They'd be lucky to hang on to number 25. They're probably out of the top 25 ranking. I mean, the only silver lining, I mean, you look at it good or bad here. They missed out on two quad one win opportunities they probably will remain that way for the rest of the season but two quad one losses don't really hurt you either right so it's it kind of becomes like a neutral you you don't you have a bad loss in terms of resume building but you know me i want that number don't you want that number i think the number means a lot and i i know it's fluff and i know that the voting is all over the map sometimes but there is a national prestige to having the number next to your name and specifically having a chance to challenge and get into that top 10. What is the the best ranking this program has ever had was sixth in the Terry senior season, the 92, 93 team. I believe that Miles Powell's was, team yes. had right. Miles Powell's team got to eight. And if they would have won both games this week, that's a number that could have been challenged per se. And now they're probably out of the rankings to get back into that stratosphere. That's either unrealistic or really, really hard to do when you're not a blue blood name you know, in front of the writers. So it kind of sucks that they're out of the rankings. 
but I don't think their resume takes a hit at this point. No. Well, they've got a real good opportunity coming up this Tuesday to start those winning ways again as they travel out to Hankel Fieldhouse to face the Butler Bulldogs. Currently, Butler's 8-4, and 1-0 and in the Big East. Probably their big signature win this year has been their win at Oklahoma in overtime. But, you know, they haven't exactly played all that many uh, top notch games so far mike have they no 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 they got three wins against opponents that are 343 or higher in the net and i think the net goes up to like 358 to put it into perspective and they don't have one they have two non-d1 wins on the schedule and we're picking on willard for playing the nyack game uh and they they took their lumps too they lost to purdue by 29 they lost to michigan state by 21 and they lost to houston by 18 uh, but I'll, I'll try to cut them some slack in the 12 games that they played. They've already had seven different starting lineups. You know, Bryce Enzi, Aaron Thompson, Chuck Harris have already missed a combined 12 games. So I know Seton Hall fans have talked about chemistry and adversity over the past couple of games, but Butler's facing pretty similar challenges in terms of trying to get on the same page with the lineup that they're going to roll out, who their starters are. The guys are coming and going in that starting five for them. That that cannot be easy. You know, what was interesting, Mike, they returned 91% of their minutes from the previous year. And last year, injuries took a toll on them as well. Just to give you a little perspective, the only other team that brought back as many minutes was UCLA. And, and Purdue is just right below them. So this is a team that has played together for a while. But like you mentioned injuries keep them from getting any kind of stability here i think they felt a player like chuck harris was going to take this big leap and if as you go through all like the season previews for each team he was the popular name that jumped off the page where you know he had a solid freshman campaign and you're thinking that if hey with all this senior leadership around him if chuck could elevate his game to like 16 points 17 points a game and you know be this lights out scorer for them Maybe Butler could really be, you know, challenging for that middle tier, get into the tournament type team from the Big East. But Chuck hasn't taken that that big leap yet. I wouldn't call it a, a sophomore slump, you know, or a sophomore jinx, but he's averaging 11 points a game. He's shooting 35% from the floor and he's shooting 33% from three. Both numbers are down from the, from last year. And he's kind of been feast or famine. He has this huge game where he goes off for 26 in that win at Oklahoma in overtime. But that was because, and, and maybe he needed a little mental check, he came off the bench in that game. So he started the first, I believe, six games for Butler, and then he got put on the bench. Maybe Jordan's like, hey, he's forcing too much or he's trying too hard, and then transitioned him to be you know, his scorer off the bench. He's the guy, though, that has to really be the consistent output offensively for them, and he hasn't done that yet. My, my guess is going to be he's probably having that same issue that we talked about with, you know, Nate Watson now being the number one line for his scouting report. Bill Koch is like, it's completely different when you're the number two guy versus being the number one guy. And maybe Harris is feeling some of that impact. So I, I don't think Seton Hall can let Harris go off in this game and boost his confidence and get the crowd involved by, you know, shooting threes and, and being dynamic offensively. But you know, they got some other guys. 
I mean, you you know the Bryce boys, right? Well, I was going to say, there's going to be a lot of familiar faces that Seton Hall fans should remember. I mean, outside of the Bryce boys, you're going to have Aaron Thompson, a fifth-year COVID senior coming back, played real well in his last game against the Paul. Just shot sevens, Mike. Seven points, seven assists, seven steals. But like you mentioned, the Bryce boys, Bryce Enzi and Bryce Golden, they're coming back. And when they play together... Butler does well. They're 4-1 so far when they're in the lineup together with their only loss being against Michigan State where both was her, both were held scoreless. So they're an important part of this team. Yeah, that was an interesting stat line to, to, to look that up and see that they, they both didn't score. I mean, how, how often we'd be going nuts. You have sour grapes and grapes. Both starting forwards don't score in a game and, you know, in a, in a marquee matchup. We'd be going off the rails. These guys are important. I don't think these guys are going to be dynamic offensively, but if they both can kind of get you that eight to 10 points each, this is a tough team to beat when Aaron Thompson is running a, you know, senior oriented heady type point guard. But am I allowed to do a mic drop for a game that we did not watch? I'm watching the Butler DePaul game and they put up the stat line for Aaron Thompson right when he has seven, seven and seven towards the back end of the game. And Dickie Simpson's like time to go to the casino. Oh, no. <laughs> but but I think we're also going to kind of be introduced to a new name that could be around the Big East for, for some time to come here. They have a freshman named Jaden Taylor. Uh, he's a 6'4 guard, about 190, uh, kind of like a slasher more to the basket. He's averaging 10.5 points per game and leading the team in scoring, believe it or not, with that 10.5. He gets to the free throw line 4.3 times a game and shoots 80% from the line but he's only 26% from three. Hey, scouting report, guys, pay attention. Do not let Jaden Taylor beat you off the dribble and get to the line. Force this kid to shoot the three-pointer. But you always yell at me because you say that I cherry-pick the games, right? And, I'm, and I only do it for the Seton Hall guys that I don't like. Well, I'll, I'll do it for you again. You ready? Jaden Taylor, five of his seven double-digit games have come against the softer underbelly of their schedule. Okay, there you go. I'm picking on other teams. I'm cherry picking whenever I want all over the place. I guess Jaden Taylor owes you money just like Tyrese does. So that's not our only game this coming week. We get to go up against UConn this coming Saturday, January 8th. So far in the season, they're 10 and 3, 1 and 1 in the Big East. Fourth season under former Pirate Danny Hurley. But they're going to be coming off a break themselves, Mike. They haven't played since December 21st, where they beat Marquette. This I mean, is it, one. Go ahead. It, I was going it's, it's a weird team to break down right now. Everybody's complaining about Seton Hall stuff. I mean, UConn's got to be complaining about, you know, not be having continuity. They, they had the Sunogo injury, too, earlier in the season as well. I mean, he just came back against Marquette and gave you six and two in 12 minutes, and then they got a pause again. So, I mean, you know, he's one of their most dynamic players. I think he went for like 34 in their win against Auburn. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but they're going to be trying to find their legs as well. And, and they have a very similar kind of lineup that ours. Do you think that this team has an alpha on UConn right now? I think from a mentality standpoint, I think RJ Cole is surely their alpha. I thought he was kind of their alpha last year 
from just a play-to-play situation. I mean, I know James Booknight was their scorer, but I love the I love the attitude that R.J. Cole brings to the game. You know, good okay, old okay. St. Anthony's I, I, game. I, 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 I think if there's somebody that you have to shut down to kind of you know neutralize their energy and a guy that's going to be their spark plug to them, sure, R.J. Cole is probably that guy. He's probably the one who's going to want the big shot or create the offense for himself, uh, a la Bryce Aiken down the stretch, if you're asking me. But, I mean, on a given night, Tyrese Martin could do a little bit of everything. He's like their junkyard dog, right? You know, 14 points, seven boards. Kind of, He's always mixing it up. You're always afraid that Sanogo is going to have another breakout game. I mean, did he not have a phenomenal uh, second matchup against us uh, at the Rock last year? I cannot wait to see him butt heads with Alexis Yetna, man. I think that matchup's going to be per, uh, worth the admission right there. But, but they, they just have so many different guys that just play their role, you know, in addition to Cole, Sonogo, and Martin. You know, Tyler Pauly can shoot the three. Andre Jackson's really athletic. You know, Jalen Gaffney's back playing from, like, Isaiah Wiley's another talented player. All these guys average, you know, seven to eight points a game. So now, now they have guys that can beat you in terms of depth, right? That's, what, seven guys that are averaging more than seven points a game on this team. And we even talk about their big recruit in Jordan Hawkins or the fact that a cook of cooks back from injury this year, you know, and blocking shot and grabbing boards for them. This is a team that can go nine to 11 deep. I think this team mirrors Seton hall more than we, than we want to say, right? I mean, we want to be in, in the, the, the top of the conference with these guys. This is your home matchup. I don't care what the excuses are. I don't care what the schedule lineup is. I don't care who had the COVID pause. You didn't get the Nova home game. You got to get this UConn home game. And it on paper, th- this is a pretty even but tough matchup. So, Mike, before we started recording, we were talking off, uh, off show, and you asked me, are these games must wins? And, you know, we're real early in the season, Mike, but I'm going to say this. You can't start Big East play 0-4, Mike, if, you've, if you're going to make any noise in the conference here. Yeah, He's going to be I, as must wins as you're going to end up with. Yeah, I, I don't know what the prediction is if you're going to ask me for a prediction, I, but I feel like they need to turn it around with a two in a week, right? And then normally we're, this is like last year, ah, watch out, their backs are against the wall. I don't like the way this is trending. They, they're going to have eight guys again for Butler. And then when they finally get the whole team back for UConn, you know, are they going to have that cohesiveness? It just lines up to possibly be 0-4. And, and this is when we, you know, sometimes doubt this team and they come out swinging and surprise the heck out of you. But, you yeah, know, it's it's not a must win, but it's pretty darn close to it, right? All right, since you're, again, in typical Mikey fashion, unwilling to put your name down to a prediction, I'm going to do it for you there, Mike. I don't care if we go into Butler playing five guys. The way we've been playing, the effort that's been put forth, the defense that these guys play – we're going to Hankel. We're beating Butler. They're not going to keep up with us. And then, it, it, yeah, so, uh, as the players start trickling back, as our healthy bodies start becoming available, we're going to take it to UConn, Mike. They're going to be coming off that pause, and we're going to take advantage of them, and we're going to win that game at the Rock. I, I hope so, because going to Butler and losing – is not out of the realm of possibility. No game on the road in the Big East is an easy matchup. You know, we just said it. Butler has seniority. You know, they they have experience on this team. We've played in that that building before. That that crowd can turn 
things on a dime in terms of emotion. They lose that game to Butler. It's 0-3 to start. You know, you start getting in your head a little bit. And on paper, that's a quad three loss in conference play on the road. That's tough. That's tough, potentially. And then you come back, and, geez, if the Butler game was not a mini must-win, now you're 0-3, and you got to play a, a really, really tough UConn team, and you really got to hold serve in your home games. I, I they got to get 2-0 here. I, I really feel like they have the aspirations to challenge for you know one of the top spots in the Big East and put them in the position to have a really strong seed line. They got to get these two games. If they come away with a split, I think they're fine. But if they want to be uh, reaching the expectations that uh, we have for them or the potential that they showed early in the season, I think they got to get back to two and two. I just, they do. I don't, I don't know what the prediction is, but I think they got to get back to two and two. Oh, you're so weak need, Mike. I'll tell you the holidays are over, Mike. We're back in action. We're in mid season form. Let's watch these games and let's hope for a two and a week. As we yell, go pirates. Go big blue. Thanks for joining another episode of left coast pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Elcoast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.